0: Thank you, Frank and choir. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're working our way through the gospel of John. And didn't Murray do a good job? Amen. Thank you, Murray, and orchestra, and chorus, and all those that you brought in with you. <laughs> Piano playing was the best among all that, and you did a great job. Thank you. Now, uh, if you're here today, would you raise your hand? Amen, would you hear? And I'm glad to have uh, Harold and Cheryl. They've been fighting. Yes, sir? It, well, as long as it's not long, you got a sermon to preach? Or- Now, if you have had a 71st anniversary today, would you raise your hand? I see one one couple over here, this young couple that's right here. And Eddie and Sarah Bush are celebrating 71 years. Amen. And the secret to their marriage is he listens to every word she says. Isn't that right? i'm not sure you do everything she said but you listen to every word she said and uh i want to kind of call us to a special prayer i understand that uh the rain hadn't come like it ought to be coming and uh where we're we down in fair hope we also have a problem with the rain not being there but let's just pause for just a minute and would you bow your heads and we ask the lord i think it's a good thing we ask the lord to let it rain and whatever happens, there are a lot of people, a lot of farmers that need to have rain in their situation. So just for a moment, just for a quietness of a moment, would you ask God to bring us rain? Father, we thank you that you're here with us. And probably years throughout this pulpit, there have been prayers for rain. And so in our congregation today, we ask you to bring rain to Selma, Dallas County, and surrounding parts. And I thank you that that prayer is very much a part of God's word. And so we pray for that today as a congregation. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, now would you turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we've been working our way through here. as Jesus has personal encounters with different people. We saw him as he had a time with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus almost asked what it means to be a Christian. And he almost stepped out. But he pulled back at the last moment. By the end of the chapter... Uh, Nicodemus is going to come out publicly and stand for Christ then we saw the woman at the well and the woman at the well was struggling with who she was and uh, the rejection she had received and there she met Jesus and he offered her living water and for the first time he recognized or gave her his recognition I am the Messiah and we saw the government official who kind of Asked for his son to be healed. And it took him a Jesus said, you won't believe. The, uh, you just won't believe. You you want me to do what you want me to do for you. But as far as who I am, you step back from who I am. And so he said, Lord, uh, come down. That my son be healed. And he said, your son's here right now. That had been some great news. And then last week we saw at the... Um, uh, pool of Bethesda. The word Bethesda means a house of mercy. It could mean two streams. But there at house of mercy, a man had been there for 38 years. And he had tried to be healed. And there was this movement inside the pool. And who was first there would be healed. And he had tried and tried for 38 years. He had tried and tried and tried. And finally he had given up hope. And Jesus said to him, uh, do you want to be made well? Because a lot of people like to remain comfortable where they are maybe in their comfort of condition and jesus said to him anastasis anastasis and the word anastasis means stand up arise, take up your bed and walk and when he took up his bed they accused him of being a sabbath breaker it's amazing how we begin to minor on the minor thing major on the minor things and minor on the major thing and the man who had been made well was an object of one who carried his couch or carried his, his bedding on the Sabbath day. And so they accused Jesus of being a Sabbath breaker. And from then on, they plotted how they were going to kill him. And eventually they did, in fact, a year later. So, In chapter 6, he is back in a place called Galilee. And in Galilee, he is, he is looking at the crowds that are there and they're coming towards him. He sees them coming. And what's initiated in him is not, oh, they're bothering me. Uh, tell them to go away, whatever. He looks at them with compassion. Compassion. Compassion's a word that's down deep inside of your soul. It's you connect with that person. And he connects with them. The... Um, a Samaritan who looked at the man who was down on his luck and down in a half uh, condition of losing his life, he had compassion on him. Everybody else walked by the side, but he had compassion. And our Lord has compassion for the crowd, and he has compassion for you and me. Now, in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us from the first couple of chapters? John chapter 6. He's in a remote place in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, east of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 5, we'll just read this one verse and then you can be seated. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Where shall we buy bread? That these made. Now, Philip was from a place called Bethesda, which was uh, Bethsaida, which was very close to there. And so Philip would know where there was a place to buy bread. So he asked Philip, and he said, Testing him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 days, eight months worth of money, and our treasure chest could not feed all these people. So send him away. And I hope this church is not a church that sends people away. So one of the disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, I found a boy here who has uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. Now the real miracle is that the boy hadn't eaten his fish and bread. Amen. That's a real miracle. If it had been me, I'd have eaten them the first time I'd gotten there. But so he takes that lunch two fish, and five loaves of bread, and he multiplies it. He said, tell them to lie down in the grass, and there were about 5,000 men, probably about 20,000 people altogether, and Jesus took the loaf, he put him in his hand. And when he had given thanks, the Greek word is Eucharisto, Eucharist. And when he had given thanks, he gave them out. Really what he did was to give them out through the disciples. And the disciples are learning to minister. And there's a joy that comes when you minister through Jesus as he hands you things to share with others. And there's a joy that only servants know. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Chapter 6 is an important chapter. Um, uh, T.D. Jakes, and I'll quote T.D. Jakes, is that okay? He says this is uh, read and feed. And he, has, he can rhyme it better than I can rhyme it, but he reads it. Uh, Jesus reads the situation. He knows the situation. He, he reads that situation. So often I miss situations, and I miss this and miss that, and I come up with my own conclusions, and I miss things. But Jesus always knows what the right thing to do at the right place, and he feeds the people, and they're hungry. So it's a read and feed situation. And when he, in the middle of this chapter, is the most popular time of his life, later on there will be people in this chapter who will walk away. Because not only does he feed us, but he also demands that we follow him and have a commitment to him that is greater than any other kind of commitment that we can have. And for some people that kind of turns them off. And so they walked away. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's got one more year left to feed his, uh, teach his disciples. And these are 12 men who will go out and they will share Christ in the world and change the world upside down. It will be the greatest movement this world had ever seen. So he only has a year with them. And this is their last kind of public place that they're in and so later on, he will kind of move with his disciples, spend time with them, and start spending more time with them to get them ready for the cross. But then they get to the cross, and they run away. But the resurrection brings them back together. So he's teaching his disciples. And I think. One of the things that he's teaching them, and he teaches them a lot of things. He takes them to places, they're with him in these kind of places. But here's the first time that he gives them ministry to do and carry out to the crowd that's around him. So he's teaching them. And one of the things he's teaching them, he's touching them so deep as to trust him. Can you trust me? You can trust me. And he gives them a problem to solve. How are we gonna feed all these people? And the answer was to send them away. But his solution is you just trust me. Watch me do some things that you wouldn't believe could ever happen that only I could do. But you put it in my hands and all of a sudden a little becomes much. Now we're right close to um, football season. Can I hear an amen for that? Is that? Or know me? Maybe you know me. Uh, Susan and I will have a hard time struggling on whether we will watch on Saturday night Hallmark or whether we will watch football. It's going to be a tough decision here, so I will listen to what she has to say, and I will flip back and forth to whatever it is we have to watch. But football has just been a part of my life all, all of my life. So if I'll tell you a football story today, maybe you will kind of understand. But I'll illustrate the point of trusting him. Uh, We were playing a team called Eufaula, and Eufaula was out here at the stadium, and it was kind of running back and forth. It was going back and forth. And so we'd try to run the ball outside, and there would be three or four people to block, and I was the fullback. They don't even have a fullback nowadays, but most run the spread formation. but I was a fullback and so uh, the play would go outside and we just couldn't run it. So finally, uh, Coach Speed sent in a play and the play he sent in was for me to run up the middle. And I thought, man, he called a play that at earlier he had said, if you run this play when there's linebackers are stacked in the middle. Are you there with me? You know what linebackers are being stacked in the middle. You run this play, we're gonna kill our fullback. And so he sent the play in for that very play to kill him that would kill our fullback. And so what had happened, those linebackers were stacked in the middle. You with me now? Now this is over some of your head, you could care less. But anyway, the linebackers are stacked in the middle. And when the play was snapped, they would slant to the outside. So the middle was wide open. So I couldn't see that, and we couldn't see that from here. But the coaches in the press box could see that was happening, and so they said, "Run it up the middle." So the ball was snapped, and I thought, "I'm gonna die." And I took my stutter step. And I you even imitate that stutter step. And I took my stutter step, and I ran up the middle. And I thought, "Man, they're gonna the ambulance is ready. I hope, and they're gonna take me out of here, and I'm gonna be gone." So anyway. I ran up the middle and the middle was wide open because they had initially started there but they had slanted to the outside and left the middle right open. So I ran the longest run I have ever run in screaming. It was 60 yards. Or maybe it was 70 yards. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was 80 yards. But finally they pulled me down from behind. I was so tired I was about to die. (laughs) But here's the point, there's a point in all this. Where are you going with all this? I trusted my coach. I trusted my coach. I wondered where he was going with that. And I wondered why he had even called that play. And I wondered how all that was gonna work together. And he knew what he was doing, and he called that play. And we have a Lord that we can trust. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to accomplish it, and he plans to accomplish whatever he starts. He always finishes, and he's there with us, and he'll never leave us and never forsake us. It's important that the disciples put that in the center of their life. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Trust Him for what He can do, even when it looks so bleak and even when it looks so dark. Only trust Him. So the disciples started out with a problem. So He deals with them and said, How are we going to deal with this problem? For every problem, there is a God filled solution. Every problem we have. He knows how to read it. He knows how to bring it together. He knows how to do the right kind of things in the right kind of places. Sometimes it doesn't look like it, but he's not through with it yet. When he's through with it, it will be just like he wanted it to be. But you got to trust him, even in those bleak moments, in those times. And so he builds into his disciples this he builds into them this idea of trust me, only trust me. Another thing he builds into them and there's the joy of ministry. There's this joy of ministry as he would take those loaves and fish and it was probably uh, two sardines and, and five biscuits and never kiss anybody after they've eaten sardines. Amen, you just don't do that. But he took that which was a little... And in his hands, it became much. And he handed it to those disciples. And those disciples went out and handed to each one in the crowd. And the joy that comes from that is a joy that only those that are servants know the fact of touching somebody's life. And Jesus has given you a ministry to do and you take that which God has given you and you apply it to that situation we have a man in um, our church who who does a ministry to children and what he does he reads children's stories to those children and he just enjoys that and, and his uh, one lady came up to him that thanked him for reading to her child and she said this my my, my husband passed away my grandfather doesn't live here and he doesn't have a man figure in his life and you're the only man figure that's in his life and that person said i'm glad he's getting joy but the greatest joy is what i give i receive when i give those times and read to those children it's such a joy that you can't understand. Only those who do that will understand what's done. Now one day, uh, Susan and I were, um, after church we were sitting there and, and a guy came up to us and said, um, we will send you anywhere you wanna go. And I said, you know, that sounds pretty good. What have we done wrong? I mean, you know, send me <laughs> somewhere that I can go. And they said, no, we want to send you wherever you're gonna go. So Susan's uh, idea was a uh, small kind of, let's go to Birmingham or somewhere like that. And my idea was, yeah, I'd like to go to Italy and Turkey and Greece. And he said, okay, we'll send you there. And we not only were sent there, we went first class. And uh, we were there in Rome. And picture this, two Selma, Alabama people in Rome, uh, Italy, and we went to all those, uh, everything that was there. I had no idea where I was. I'd show somebody a map and say, where am I on this map? And they'd show me. And so the last night that we were there, I went to the guy in our hotel and I said, um, this is our last night, where's the best place to get a meal? And he said, well, you can go upstairs and they would charge you an arm and a leg. Uh, you can go out there on the street and on the sidewalk and ask this sidewalk uh, guy out there if you can have some bacon scrambled egg pasta. So I'm kind of a adventurous person, so I said, Okay. So we went out there on the sidewalk cafe in uh, Rome, and so I said, you know, we want some bacon and scrambled egg pasta, and he said, "Wee" or whatever he said, I've forgotten what he said. But Susan's not adventurous like me. She wanted spaghetti. I mean, it's kind of hard to ruin ruin spaghetti when you're on a sidewalk cafe uh, in Rome. And so they brought us our meal, and as we were eating our meal, um, um, man, it was good. And so she said, can I have a taste of that? And I said, sure. That was my bacon scrambled egg pasta. And so uh, she ate, and then she ate, and then she ate, and then she ate. And my bacon scrambled egg pasta was all gone. It had gone somewhere. And I said, well, did you enjoy that? She said, I really did, that was good. And I said, well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And I really was. I mean, watching her eat all my bacon and scrambled egg pasta. (laughs) It, It was a joy. It was a joy. because I love her and care about her. And if she's happy, I'm happy. Amen. And that was an occasion for us. Let me tell you another joy that came 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 to me. When Susan and I gave the invitation in um, Vacation Bible School, And I watched those kids line up. And as I looked them in their eyes, and I said, "Uh, have you asked Jesus in your heart? And they looked up at me and said, yes, sir. And I said, where is Jesus now in your heart? And they would say, in my heart. And I'd take those kids and I'd hug them. And it was like a heaven come down and glory fill my soul. As these disciples were handing out to this crowd, they experienced the kind of joy that later on would take them to the furthest parts of the world to share with people what it meant to come to know Christ as their Savior. Because there is no greater joy. Now, if you look back at your Bibles for just a minute, let's look at this story and let's kind of frame this story. So Jesus is teaching his disciples how to trust him, not only how to trust him, but how to enjoy the ministry and what's involved in the ministry and how helping people find Christ and be fed. In verse 1, after these things, that is, after they had uh, got after him and would plan on coming to kill him, then Jesus went on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's in the place where the Golan Heights is now. It's, it's a place of military, Trump said all those Golan Heights should go back to Israel. So it's in the Golan Heights, it's an out of the way place where they were by themselves and but they're a crowd and they're following Jesus. And it tells us a great multitude kept following him and they kept following him. And they kept listening to him as he talked and as he did miracles to bring people back from the grave. So there's a great crowd that's kind of following him and they're watching him do some things. So he withdraws with his disciples to a place. And he thought, well, we'll just have this time with my disciples together and we'll take his kind of vacation time. We'll kind of relax for a while. But then he looked up and the crowd kept coming to him. So, Jesus didn't walk away from the crowd. He didn't dismiss them and said, Let's go hide in another place. Let's get out of here and go someplace and go another place. He said, We need to meet those needs. We can't ignore those needs. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he asked that question to Philip Philip, where are we going to get all this bread? And Philip uh, said, I don't know. We we could open our treasure chest. We could open the financial uh, situation we had. But a person would only be able to get a piece of that. And then Andrew. Andrew Peter's brother. And every time he was mentioned, he is mentioned as Peter's brother. And it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. So Andrew had been checking the lunches. And when he checked the lunches, he found this little boy. And he brought the two loaves or two fish and the loaves and he gave them to Jesus. Then Jesus takes over. And when he takes over, it's amazing what he can do. He didn't say this is not enough, we don't have enough, we could have had some more. Let's take what has been given us and let's do with it what only God can do. And so he looks up to heaven. One version says he looks up to heaven and that's his prayer. He looks up to heaven and he thanks God. And it's amazing what thanksgiving can do with what you have. And he thanks God for what they had. And then he begins to distribute it with his disciples. Now there's so much left over in the words there at the end are the idea of left over. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And here's the idea. There's these fragments that were left over after they had given out the bread. But here's a fragment. fragment something that was in and now it's out. And there's some leftovers kind of left that's there. So bring them together, gather all 12 baskets full, and disciples would always know that they had an example of an example of what the Lord could do. But gather up the fragments, because the fragments are important. And fragments are those kind of people that are kind of in the church, but they're not in the church. They're there, and they've been there, but they're not in they've tasted and they're almost there and they're close to making a decision but they haven't made that decision yet and the church still reaches out to them sometimes they're the hardest people to reach sometimes they've been in church and they watch the church and what had happened in the church were all kind of problems that happened and and maybe there was a church split, and maybe there was a church fight, and they were saying, you know, I just don't want any part of that, and so they're out. They almost in, but they're out. And the culture would say, leave them alone, let them go. We don't care about them. But Jesus says, gather them up. Work on bringing them back. And it's a hard time sometimes to bring people back. Work on bringing them back. Don't let them go. Bring them back in. Put them in the basket. Watch God do some things even in their lives that they had said they would never do ever again. But bring them back. Now I'll tell you the story of a guy named David Miller. David Miller was... A uh, golfer, very good golfer, played, played for the University of Georgia golf team, and they won a national championship. And uh, David was one of the key players in that, on that golf team. Bubba Watson was on that team. And um, David brought his kids. He would come to church, but you know, that's about it. He would, and so he brought his kids. We had the strength team that would come and the strength team would come and they'd lift all these weights and do all these things and all the kids just loved them. And in the end, they would give their, uh, an invitation. And David was there in that night, not because he wanted to, because his wife told him to go and take the kids. And so David sat on about the third or fourth row so he could get to his kids in case they were cutting up. But at the end of that invitation, David came down and said he wanted to accept Christ. We talked with people after the church, and David and I sat down, and I said, David, have you ever received Christ as your Savior? He said, no. I said, why are you here? He said, well, I came to bring my kids, but during that invitation time, God just kind of started speaking to my heart. And I came down, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle this. I just knew I just needed to go down and try to get things right. And so I shared with David how it was to become a Christian. And David, with tears in his eyes, just kind of said, I believe, I trust. He'd been coming for all those years, And you would think that he was a Christian or maybe that he knew Christ as his Savior, but he had never accepted Christ as his Savior. And so the next week I baptized David, put him under the water like Baptists do. Amen? Put him under that water. Then I went to see my son in Charlottesville. That's our family vacation. And they called me that David had passed away and asked me would I come back to Selma or, yeah, come back to Fairhope, excuse me, and do his funeral. He was only like in his early 30s. And the whole University of Georgia golf team was there and Bubba Watson, first time I ever met Bubba Watson, I asked him, I gave him a commitment card to pay, give to our church since he was a meeting. And they never knew what had happened to David. He'd just gone to sleep and didn't wake up. I thank God for that moment. I thank God for his coming down. Never in his world's imagination did he ever believe he would pass away the next week. Bring them in. Bring those that are outside the kingdom of God, but they come to church, and maybe they have drifted away from church, but the point is, bring them in. There's too much at stake here. Too much that has to happen. When Jesus had finished passing out the bread, he said, bring them in. Those fragments that are out there, that ought to be in here, They're close to being saved, but there's still a distance in their world, and they still haven't made it in yet. Somebody needs to go reach them. Somebody needs to touch them. Now, God's teaching us how to trust. And I think when we see Jesus, he's here teaching us how to trust in whatever situation, wherever we are, to trust. And one of Susan and I's favorite friends is a girl named Amy. Amy is like in her early 30s. And Amy is, um, she works for a Christian girls camp. And Amy um, is really, she's a dedicated Christian girl. She would love to have a family and that's kind of one of her, but that hasn't happened yet. But Amy has uh, cancer of the leg. And her leg had this cancer and and they tried to um, um, get her healed from the cancer, but it didn't happen. And so they amputated her leg, but she thought that was over. But now they found out that one cell from the cancer, one cell from the cancer in her leg has found its way into her lungs. And now she has cancer. And she's going through all these treatments and everything is happening to her. And, and in the middle of that, she's holding up her Christian courage and her trust in God, even in the middle of that. And Susan and I got a text from her last week. And let me just share with you a girl who's 30 is going through a second bout with cancer. We watch and wait, waiting to see if it will work waiting to see if there are other treatment options. I know that I am not the only one waiting for answers. There are other circumstances in my life that require me to wait, and it is hard right now. But in the waiting, in the unknown, and the doubt and fear, I know that I can trust. I can trust the God who created me and knows me and loves me. He is working all things for my good. And his glory and his doing it in his perfect timing. Not just me, but people that I love and care for who are also struggling. So even though I haven't necessarily grown more patient, I have grown more trusting. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Where's the place? that you need to trust God. Where the place maybe in the future there will be some things that will happen and you will have to trust God. There will be nowhere else to turn. There will be that place that you will have to trust God. Maybe you need to trust him right now in that place. Just in the silence of your heart would you ask the Lord to help you to trust more. Trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Maybe there's somebody that you know who is a fragment, maybe you're a fragment. Somebody needs to share with them about Christ. Maybe you need to pray for them right now and that's the first place you begin praying for them, praying that God will bring them home because they're so close, and they've been so close. They've tasted the Lord in places in their life, but they haven't moved. And now's the time for them to move. I don't know how much time we have. Sometimes it's very short. But with the Lord, we can make it happen, or he can make it happen. Or maybe there's just something that's a problem and he is a problem solver. Maybe there's a problem that you have that you need to really give to him. Looks like an impossible solution. But he brings possibility to every situation. Thank you, Father, for our time today. Help us as we deal with you that you're still talking to us and You talk to your disciples, you guide them in a ministry, but you also guide us to trust you. And help us, Father, to again renew our faith in a trusting way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.